Good morning. Y'all out there, right? I mean, after worship like that, whew, just want to chest bump somebody, right? Some good stuff. My name is Nick. I'm one of the pastors here. I want to welcome all of you to worship. Like I got to say, I so enjoyed the Super Bowl last week. Anybody else like that? That was a great game, wasn't it? Yeah. Probably one of the better games I've seen. So much offense. In fact, it was a record for the most yards, maybe even points in a game. It was just a phenomenal game. Now, as an Indianapolis Colts fan, a diehard Indianapolis Colts fan, there's a particular image from the game that I would just, I would just love for us all to enjoy together. Can we do that right now? Let's just, let's just enjoy. Oh, yeah. Mm. You can clap for that. You can clap for that. Let's just drink it in for a moment. Come on. Mm, it's nice. It's nice. Okay, we can move on now. We can move on. No, okay, one more time. We'll look at it one more time. Just one more time. Yeah. It's going to be like my screensaver, you know. Put that everywhere. All right, even though he lost, Tom Brady's greatness cannot be denied. All right, I'll admit it. I'll go ahead and admit it. Everybody's starting to admit it, right? I mean, the guy is the greatest quarterback to ever play the game. Yeah, a big part of it is his longevity and the fact that he's been so good for so long. There's 17 years in between his first Super Bowl and his most recent one. That's half of my life. Can't stand the guy, right? been to eight Super Bowls. That means like every, almost every other year he's playing for a Super Bowl. That's just phenomenal. Isn't it? It's amazing. You see, greatness, greatness in, in any realm, it stands the test of time. I mean, greatness, it endures. Greatness finishes strong. Greatness goes the distance. I mean, he just threw for 500 yards in this last game. 500 yards. He's far from finished. And then at age 40, he won his third MVP award, becoming the oldest player to do so. I mean, he's single-handedly proving that 40 is not that old. Somebody makes noise about that, right? Yeah. Again, greatness, right? Greatness in any area, it's, it's, it sort of stands that, that test of time. It goes the distance. And this really gets to the heart of what makes a breakthrough a breakthrough. See, breakthrough is something that leads to change that lasts, that leads to change that sticks around for a while. In fact, you know, you, you can't really even name a breakthrough in the moment. You can't call something a breakthrough, right? It's like you, you do one right thing, oh, that was my breakthrough. You can't really do that. In fact, I, f- I feel like you only get permission to call something a breakthrough in retrospect. Because you look back, right? As you look back over, over seasons and years of consistency and change to try to identify that moment when it all started, then you can call something a, a breakthrough, Because breakthrough is something that goes the distance. This is what I want us to talk about this morning. We're wrapping up this breakthrough series, which which I hope has been helpful for you in sort of getting your 2018 started off on on the right foot. But we've been honest in here together that there's these areas in our lives where we feel stuck. Y'all say stuck. Right? There's these places where, where we long for change, right? Where we long for growth, for forward movement, for breakthrough. And we've been taking a look at, at the character and the book of Joshua, the, the leader who, who led the people into the promised land, who helped transition them through a breakthrough, moving from wanderers to conquerors. And this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at the end of Joshua's life, how it wrapped up, how it finished to see what there is for us to learn about going the distance and experiencing change that lasts. But first, I want to pray because, I man, I'll tell you what, the Spirit's moving in this place. And I don't want us to go very long uh, and so, so we forget about that. But let's, let's just pray one more time and then we'll get into the Word, right? Whew, God, thank you. 
Thank you for this morning. Thank you for the people you've brought in here today. Lord, I was just so reminded in the songs that we sing that you pursue us. You are a pursuing God. In fact, from the day we were born, you've been chasing us down. I can imagine that there are people in here this morning, for whatever reason, have a hard time believing that. Believing that they're, that they're loved, that they're accepted, that they're desired. And so I just pray that your spirit just falls fresh on all of us. Cut through our cynicism, our despair. You're chasing us, God. Don't let us play hard to get this morning. Help us to be here with you, to be raw, to be honest, and allow you to speak into us a fresh new word. We pray that you change us, Jesus. We need you. It's in your name we pray, amen. We're gonna be in Joshua chapter 24. If you buy your Bibles, I'll give you a second to turn there. But Joshua, Joshua might be the cleanest character in the entire Bible. I mean, the Bible is a very honest book. Right? All of its characters have very obvious flaws. They're flawed people. I take, for instance, Joshua's predecessor, Moses. The guy was a murderer. Murder people. At the same time, he had a temper problem. Because of his temper, he wasn't allowed to step foot in the promised land. He died on the outside of the promised land. That would stink, wouldn't it? Putting up with those people for 40 years, and you die on the outside of the promised land? I could spend time talking about that for a while. But I mean, Joshua, Joshua's so squeaky clean. I mean, the most remarkable thing about him is his consistency. Like, you keep waiting for him to do something horrible, to, like, to mess it up, but he doesn't. He stays true. Joshua finishes so well. And here, in 24, it's the end of Joshua's life. He's 110 years old, right? He's ripe. This dude's old, right? And, and in 23, we're told that after a long time, y'all say long time, after a long time, God gave the people rest from their enemies. So, so things have progressed. They've taken the land. Now it started to settle down a bit, and things are good. And Joshua's 110, and he starts to get this sense that his time is coming to a close. And so he starts thinking about life after he's gone. What's this going to look like when I'm not here? So he calls all the people together. And he delivers this just really powerful speech. I, I encourage you to go and read through the entire chapter when you get a moment. But, but he begins by reminding them of where this whole thing started. Like, don't forget where we came from when we were slaves in Egypt and God rescued us. God delivered us from Pharaoh. Don't forget that. And, and, and remember how God provided for us as we were wandering through the wilderness. The way he made sure we had everything that we needed. And don't forget the way that God went before us into the land and he drove the people out ahead of us. Towards the end of the speech, Joshua sort of turns the corner and starts to speak to their current situation, their current condition. We'll pick up in verse 14. Joshua says this, Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. 
But as for me and my household, y'all say it with me, we will serve the Lord. We will serve the Lord. This passage reveals a couple of things. First, sometimes we miss it. This passage is making it clear that Israel was still struggling with, with worshiping other gods. We kind of read over that really fast, right? But I mean, Joshua's telling them, hey, get rid of all these gods. Get rid of the gods you used to worship in Egypt. Get rid of the gods of the people here in the land that we've settled in, right? The fact that he has to tell them that means what? They still have them, right? Sometimes we, we sort of mistakenly think that when Moses shows up on the scene and tells them about Yahweh, tells the people about their gods, they like got rid of everything and, and everything was smooth sailing from then on out. No. In the story of the people of God, it's much more like two steps forward and one step back. Anybody know a thing or two about that? Right, so, so they're still struggling with worshiping other gods. And Joshua says to these people, choose today whom you will serve. The driving theme of this entire speech from front to back has to do with Israel's devotion and faithfulness their commitment to their God, Yahweh. That's the driving theme of this entire speech. See, the rest of Joshua, it's interesting. If you read through it, Joshua, the book, is really concerned with the land, right? The majority of the book focuses on the land, them taking the land, them distributing the land. But then it finishes, though, with Joshua pleading urgently for them not to forget what this whole land thing was all about to begin with. Don't forget what this was about. Don't forget who you are. Don't forget who this is for. You see, God had bigger plans for these people than to just make another nation. God had a goal here. In fact, if you go back, go back to the first generation, go back to Exodus chapter 19, right? God has led the people out of Egypt through the parted Red Sea. We know this story, right? All these amazing things happening. And God eventually brings these people to a place called Sinai, or another name for that is Horeb, Mount Horeb. That's where our name comes from. Some of you are like, what? Right? So he leads them to this place, Sinai, and, and here is where God begins to give the people their identity. And think about this. I mean, don't, don't rush over it. They've been slaves for 400 years. What's their identity? Who do they think they are? Slaves. I mean, that's all they know. That's all they know. They wake up, they make bricks. They do what the Egyptians tell them to do for 400 years. Their cultural identity was we're slaves. Now they're free. Sometimes freedom can be terrifying, especially if you don't know who you are. And so it's here at Sinai where God begins to cast this vision. Here's why I rescued you. Here's why I liberated you. Here's why you exist. This is what the law is all about. It's their identity. And God not only gives them identity, he teaches them how to live this identity out. And in Exodus 19, I think he says it so succinctly. When God refers to the people as a kingdom of priests, as a nation of priests. Now you tell me, what, what does a priest do besides wear like a cool collar like Drew, right? What's a priest do? Mediates, right? On behalf of... In between the divine and human beings. That's what a priest does. A priest represents the people to God. At the same time, the priest then reflects God back to the people. This is not the identity of one person. This is the identity of the entire nation. This is why God liberated them, rescued them. It's to be a kingdom of priests, which means they exist to reflect 
what this God, this liberating God is like to the rest of the world. These people exist to be the vessels through which this new, this, this revolutionary concept of God begins to actually work in the world. So to keep that in mind, you, you, you can begin to imagine why serving other gods is kind of a problem. It's a bit confusing for other folks. You get that, right? And so here at the end of Joshua, as he looks ahead, he's pleading with them urgently, don't forget who you are. You've got the land and it's beautiful, but don't lose your identity. Don't forget what all of this is about. And here's why this is so important. Y'all lean in a bit. When it comes to breakthrough, when it comes to going the distance, when it comes to experiencing lasting change in our lives, here's the deal. Ultimately, breakthrough is less about where we're going and what we're accomplishing. Breakthrough is ultimately about who we are becoming. I'm going to say that again. I'm going to say it slow so it sinks in. Breakthrough is less about where we're going and what we're accomplishing. Breakthrough is ultimately about who you and I are becoming. Let's, let's think about this maybe in a bit of a different way. When it comes to those areas in your life where you feel stuck, I want you to think about them right now. Let them come to mind, right? Think about it. Those places where you feel stuck, where you're frustrated, where you, where you want to see change. I'm going to ask you a question. In those places, what is it that you really want? Like if you were to be brutally honest, what is it you really want in that place? Circumstantial deliverance or character formation? What is it you really want? So I'd argue one of the biggest reasons why we struggle to experience breakthrough is because we get so fixated on what I'm calling circumstantial deliverance. It looks something like this. There's, there's a place in your life you're frustrated. Y'all shake your head. We got some of those, right? A place where we feel stuck, right? And it gets to the point where it's really annoying and it's irritating and we're, we're fed up with it. And so what do we do? We get really serious about our faith, right? All right, I'm going to make some changes. I want this to be fixed, right? We begin to cry out to God. Okay, God, I want you to fix this. Deliver me from this thing. Fix this thing. That's called circumstantial deliverance. I got news for you, folks. God is more interested in character formation. I'm going to tell you right now, as much as God may want to fix that thing in your life, you know what God ultimately wants to fix? You. You. God wants to change you. And the thing is, when, when we get so fixated, so locked in on circumstantial deliverance, like, God, just fix this thing, right? It's only a matter of time before we relapse. Anybody know a thing or two about relapse in the room? Relapse. And we see it with the people in Joshua. Right? So, so Joshua gives this amazing speech in chapter 24. You know how the people respond? It's an incredible form of repentance. Joshua, we hear you, brother. You don't got to worry about us. You can just go on and die. You're 110. You got to be worn out, right? You don't have to worry about us. We got this, okay? We will not go back to these gods. We're going to get rid of all of them. Like, if you read through it, it reminds me of the last night of church camp growing up. How many of y'all grew up, grew up going to church camp over the summer? Raise your hands. I got to see you. Me too. Some of you are like new to all this, and this is going to sound really weird to you. 
right? But it's, it's, just, it's just part of how it is. And it's actually a pretty cool thing. But, but what was the last night of church camp like? Talk to me. What was it like? I had some friends who used to refer to it as cry night. You know what I'm talking about, right? Like they, they go into the week knowing, hey, at last night, guess what we're going to do? We're going to cry. Right? They couldn't wait. They're going to cry. This is what happened. I mean, after spending an entire week with each other, you know, they're hearing somebody preach the gospel, which is awesome. They're worshiping together. They're doing all these amazing things together. And the last night, there's usually a call for response. And everybody just starts giving up everything. Right? They're burning their CDs. You know, I don't even know what that looks like today because it's all digital, right? You like, like delete music files at the same time? Count of three. Everybody hit delete, right? What's that look like? You know, everybody's like breaking up with their girlfriend, their boyfriend. Remember this, right? Like giving up everything. I'm not doing anything anymore, God. I'm, I'm all yours. I'm not making fun of this. It's a good thing. It's, it's real. It's genuine, right? But this is the spirit of Joshua 24. They're like, we're in. We're getting rid of all of it. You don't got to worry about us. Funny thing is, the next chapter in the story of the people of God is the book of Judges. You read that book? It's a complete mess. When there's this refrain that shows up over and over again throughout the book of Judges. Everybody did what was right in their own eyes. The flowers aren't even dead on Joshua's tomb. And what are the people doing? They're going right back to the way it was before. And what's really wild is they find themselves oppressed by the very people God just delivered them from. And here's why. All they really wanted was circumstantial deliverance. God, we don't have a home. God, we don't have a land. If we could just have a land, if we could just have a place to call our own, they got it. And then what happened? They relapsed. We know all about this, don't we? Allow me to be vulnerable first, okay? How about that? I share with you what, what my place where I feel stuck is my, is my health, right? It's my weight. And, and it's usually, here's, here's how it goes. And some guys got to make some noise for this. I have to believe you can relate. It's like around the holidays, I just go buck wild. <laughs> you too? I mean, I just go buck wild. And eat. It's the holidays, right? It's what you do. It's the holidays. You're wearing sweaters and you find some stretchy pants and you're fine. And buck wild. And then after the holidays, I kind of have this like, you know, come to Jesus moment. I don't like the way my pants are fitting, the way I look in pictures. And then, whoa, here's what gets me. Then you kind of have this like, oh, no moment. We're going to the beach in six months. <laughs> you know, I want to look good. I'm like David Hasselhoff it, right? I mean, I want to look good on the beach. And so six months, I got to lose some weight. So I, I commit to some crazy diet, start running, working out. And guess what? I lose a bunch of weight. Can't tell you how many times I've done that. You look at our beach pictures every year. I look good. What happens after the beach? I go buck wild. Right? And you're laughing. But those of us who really struggle with this, it's not funny, is it? It's not funny at all, especially in a culture where, like, indulgence, one of the most socially acceptable sins, you know? But man, it wrecks you. It's incredibly frustrating. It's like for me, if I really want to move past that, if I want to experience breakthrough, I got to do the hard work of really wrestling with why. Why is this how I self-medicate? I mean, why is my weight such a constant issue? What is it in here I need God to do? 
Are you with me? It's moving from, from simple behavior modification. It's moving from simple, deliver me from this to like, oh, what, what do you need to fix? I see this with couples a lot. I love spending time with married couples. It's a, a passionate calling I feel like God has put on my life. And I'll have folks come in and spend time with me. And usually what it is, it's like, hey, we got this issue in our marriage. We need to fix it, right? There's communication problems. Y'all got some of those, right? It's, it's a problem with our in-laws, right? There's this bad habit, in the relationship or, or, you know, there's, there's something that's happened. There's an incident. And typically what they want is they want strategies. They want technique. They want advice for how to deal with this issue. Like, how do we make this go away? How do we fix this? Can I tell you something? That's the easy part. That's the easy part. There are all sorts of books you can read. Man, there's all sorts of helpful information on how to manage all of this, how to get around it. Can I tell you what the hardest part is? Convincing people to marry people the real problem might be you. None of this is going to matter if we don't figure out what in you needs to change. What does God need to fix in you so that your marriage can be as beautiful as it could be? And we settle for circumstantial deliverance. But what God really wants, God wants to fix us, wants to change us. I mean, this shows up beautifully in Jesus' teachings. In Matthew chapter 6, are you still out there? That wasn't convincing. <laughs> Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is speaking about this in the Sermon on the Mount. I think this is so fascinating. Hang, hang out with me here. Verse 1, chapter 6. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no, say this with me, reward. Look for that word. You will have no reward from your father in heaven. Verse two. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, I love this word picture here. When you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. We're like, huh? Huh? this is about it's about being generous in a way it's the most normal thing imaginable it's just how you are you're just generous so your left hand isn't like oh look wow he's being generous no of course you are this is just what it's like this is just what you do Verse four, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. It's a similar wording that Jesus has all throughout chapter six. I mean, when he speaks about prayer, it says a similar thing. When you pray, don't pray out in public for everybody to see how, how awesome you are, how spiritual you are. I want you to pray in quiet. I want you to pray in secret. Then your father, this is the refrain, your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Goes on to say that in, in regards to fasting a bit later in the chapter. When you fast, don't walk around with a pouty face going, oh man, it's fasting. I'm just trying to be real spiritual here. It's fasting. It's miserable. It's awful. No, he says, don't do that. Don't do that. Keep it quiet. Be secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. I was reading some stuff on this chapter this past week and somebody pointed out that nowhere in this passage does Jesus seem to think this reward is somewhere in the future. Nowhere does Jesus seem to suggest that if you keep doing these things, one day 
is going to dump a big blessing in your lap. Instead, I would argue what Jesus seems to be suggesting is the reward he's talking about is something that is happening right there in the moment. Your father will see, and then he will reward you. You know what I think Jesus is saying? The reward for doing the right thing is doing the right thing. The reward for doing the right thing is doing the right thing. You know what Jesus wants for us? He wants for us to become the type of people for whom doing the most God-honoring thing, the most life-giving thing, the most healthy thing becomes the most normal thing imaginable. How about that? Some of you in this room, maybe you don't know what this is all about. You're here, somebody invited you, you're still trying to figure out what this Jesus thing is about. Here's a big piece of it. In In the gospel, what we believe is that God can transform us, transform us into the type of people who more and more want the right kind of things, who long for the right kind of things, people who become transformed so that the right thing is the most normal thing imaginable. Man, wouldn't that be beautiful? Because if you're anything like me, I find myself in these moments all the time where I'm sort of torn, right? I'm torn in between what maybe I want to do. Oh man, I really want to do this. It's urge, right? I want to do this, but then I have the thought, it's not good for me. I probably should do this. And at first it's kind of hard. It's difficult. You know what's available to us in the gospel? That can change. I'm not saying it's, it becomes easy, but you can become the type of person where the thing that you want is actually the right thing. It's the good thing. It's the healthy thing. And I think this is important too for another reason. Because you and I have this bad habit. I'm learning this about you and I'm learning this about me. We've got a bad habit of slapping conditions all over everything. Especially like our obedience Especially our faithfulness. You know, we say things like, okay, I'll tell you what. I'll wine and dine her. I'll I'll treat her right. I'll buy her flowers. I'll I'll make an extra effort as long as she reciprocates. Right? Or I'll be kind to that person. I'll I'll do all the right things for them. I'll reach out to my in-laws, whatever it is. I'll do all these things as long as they fill in the blank. I'll keep doing the hard thing. As long as I know it's going to turn out like I think it should. Or I'll go do that new thing, that scary thing, just as long as it isn't as hard as I think it's probably going to be. So conditional. And so then when they don't reciprocate, when it doesn't turn out the way we thought it should, when we thought it should, when it is scarier and harder than we thought, what do we do? We bail. We quit. So we never experience breakthrough. And the problem is here. Here's the problem right here. We're looking for the reward in the wrong place. Because the reward for doing the right thing is doing the right thing. It's becoming the right kind of person. I mean, you know what? As your pastor, I hope you hear me when I say this. You can control very little of what happens to you in your life. Do you know that? You can control very little of what happens to you in your life. And what's sad is for a lot of us, people who kind of get caught up in this sort of thinking is after a while, the spirit of entitlement creeps in. The sense that we're owed something, 
right? We've been working really hard. We've been doing all the right things. So I've got this coming to me. This is how it should turn out. Right? And sadly, this is for a lot of us who've been through some hard things. I'm not trying to dismiss that. God takes our suffering very seriously. But I've seen this. People go, go, through, go through suffering, sometimes come out the other side thinking God owes them for that. There's something very specific God has to do to make that right. And so what entitlement does, it, it gets us to like choke the life out of life, demanding very specific things from it. Saying things like, I'm never going to be happy until I find the right spouse. I'm never going to be okay until I get that job. I'm never going to be okay until they come and say they're sorry. Entitlement, what it does is it robs us of our joy. Because the thing is, it's never actually enough. Even if those things happen, it wouldn't be enough. And it blinds us to where the true gift is is at. It's who God's forming us into. It's who God's changing us into. Like I said, you can control very little of what happens in your life. You can't control who's going to bail on you. You can't control who's going to betray you. You can't control who's going to walk out on you. You can't control what what dreams are going to blow up in your face, what doors are going to slam shut. You can't control the kind of bad news you're going to get about your health. You can't control any of that. You know what you can control? How you respond to it, which ultimately determines who we become. And going the distance, breakthrough. Man, it's about understanding where the true reward is at. It's the change that takes place in us. You know, breakthrough is also about making your mark. And I love Joshua. You know, he says to these waffling people, you know, who got one foot in, one foot out, who kind of want to have a little bit of everything. I love what he says to them. Choose this day who you're going to serve. Right now, choose. But for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. I mean, it's simple. You know what makes Joshua's story so great? It's about something bigger than himself. It was caught up in something bigger than himself. It makes me wonder if many of the breakthroughs that, that we're working towards, I wonder if they're even worth having. I wonder for some of us, this, this place that we're trying to go, I've got to wonder, is it even worth getting to? Is it big enough? I was thinking, I read this great article about Aaron Rodgers and ESP in the magazine a few months ago. It was an incredible article about Aaron Rodgers. Packers quarterback, any Packers fans in the house? Y'all are like everywhere. Nobody? Wow. It's like the one place in the universe. Yeah, but NFL, like Aaron Rodgers is considered by many to be the most physically gifted quarterback in the NFL. Right, maybe even all, of all time. What's funny is he's, he's had this huge chip on his shoulder like his whole life. He was overlooked in high school, you know, going into college. And even after a pretty solid career at Cal, he was uh, passed over in the draft. The Packers picked him up and where he served as a backup for Brett Favre until he finally retired and then came back and then retired and then came back. You can get a point. But he threw himself into his, into his craft to prove everybody wrong. Guess what? He did it. He did it. He won Super Bowl 45 against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Was voted Super Bowl MVP. And what's powerful about this article is it kind of takes you behind the scenes, what was going on in his head the night he won the Super Bowl. This is incredibly fascinating. He talks about coming onto the bus and sitting there and, and everybody started passing around the Lombardi trophy. Right? This thing he had worked for for so long. And I, I love this, what this article says. It's beautiful writing. Listen to this. 
As his teammates chattered away, the quarterback sat and listened and thought about the plays he had made that night. Three touchdowns, zero interceptions, 304 yards. The bus rolled along and he ran it all back in his mind, then pressed rewind and visualized his entire career, retracing the steps he had taken from Chico, California to Arlington, Texas, from beleaguered backup to Super Bowl MVP. As he reflected on the sacrifices and the slights, he wondered whether it was all worth it. And then he felt something unexpected, not regret or fulfillment, but a different sensation, like a space had opened inside of him. He thought about life and football and everything he had invested in his sport and a jarring realization sprang into his mind. I hope I don't just do this. Wow. I gotta wonder if half the breakthroughs we're even working towards are worth it. Our goals often are so short-sighted because they're not any bigger than us. Are they? I mean, it's like, so you got the boat. Then what? You got the promotion. Now what? You redid your kitchen. Now what? You lost the weight. You got out of debt. Now what? It's not that there's anything wrong with these things. Hear me. They're just not big enough. The trick is, how do you bring a redemptive purpose into these? How do you find a kingdom of God purpose and bring them in to your goals? Because if these things become the totality of our ambitions, they become the totality of our breakthroughs, I'm sorry, I can guarantee you one day you're going to find yourself having a moment like Aaron Rodgers, looking back on all of these things and wondering, man, is this all I did? Is this it? Was it worth it? One of my heroes is my former pastor where I served in Ohio. His name is Mike Slaughter, and it's a great name, isn't it? Pastor Slaughter. How do you like that? But he is, he's, he's one of my heroes. I mean, he has poured, he has influenced my life in so many ways. And I'll say this, and I mean it. If my life accomplishes half of what he's accomplished, I'll call it a success. Major success. I mean, he, he, he's a pastor in Ohio, and, you know, he started these recovery ministries where people have, like, hundreds and hundreds of people have come to know freedom and sobriety from their addictions. He was a part of starting something called the Sudan Project, which was a humanitarian and a missional investment in the country of Sudan after the genocide took place in the early 2000s. Maybe you, you, you remember that. He was telling me one time, though, about being at his, I think it might have been his high school or his college reunion, and he was catching up with some friends. And they were all these big wig executives in downtown Cincinnati, making tons of money, real successful. And they're giving him kind of a hard time. Like, Mike, man, what, what would have happened if you would have kind of come with us? What would have happened if you would have gotten into what we got into? Man, think about, the, think about what you could have done, you know? And one of them asked him this question. He said, Mike, what happens if you get to the end of your life and you realize that it all wasn't true? What then? I love what he said to him. I said, well, I've seen hundreds of people come back from addictions. I've seen dozens of marriages resurrected. I've seen people come to know peace. Not to mention the fact that I was a part of building over 120 schools in places like the Sudan to help provide education for kids who otherwise wouldn't get it. I was a part of 
starting sustainable agricultural programs and water programs that are providing over 100,000 people with water and with food. You want to ask me what I would say? It's all worth it. It's all worth it. I was asked a question in high school. It's haunted me ever since. If there were no heaven, would you still follow Jesus? Honestly, how I'd answer that question for a long time was no. There's a whole lot of stuff I'd rather do. I'm in it for the retirement plan, right? That's changed for me. So changed for me because here's what I've come to discover. You know what the best part about following Jesus is? Following Jesus. Man, it's the change that I've experienced in my own life. It's the way that somehow my life is caught up in this bigger thing. That God's using it for a greater purpose. Let me ask you, what's that look like for you? I mean, how can you bring a kingdom of God purpose into your ambitions, into your goals, into your breakthroughs? How can the change that you're working towards somehow get caught up in the change that God wants to bring into the world? I mean, maybe you're in here and you really are. You're trying to get out of debt. You're making progress. Great. Don't stop. That margin is going to be nice. But how can it position you to make an even bigger impact for the kingdom of God? Maybe, maybe you're working on your marriage. Keep doing it. It's beautiful. I want you all to be happy. But I want to encourage you as you do that, carry with you a picture of you and your spouse one day sitting across the table from another couple who's going through a similar thing. Maybe maybe you're working to get that promotion. I hope you get it. I hope you do. The question is, how can you leverage that for more influence for the things that actually matter? I mean, here's what it looks like for me. told you I want to lose some weight. And a part of me just wants to look good. I got this weird goal of running the dam with my shirt off. kind of hope that doesn't happen. I know all of you probably hope that doesn't happen ever, right? It's got to be about something bigger than that, folks. You know what I found out wrestling with all this? I got a family that I'm crazy about. I want to be around for them. At the same time, I don't want to hand this off. Because what we don't deal with, guess what? We pass on. At the same time, I feel like God's got a whole lot of kingdom work left for me to do. I want to be around for it. At the same time, here's what I want. As your pastor, I want to be able to stand up here as living proof that the gospel's true. And that because of Jesus Christ, you can have freedom and victory over everything that holds you back. Can y'all hold me accountable to that? Here's what I want to do right now. We're going to give you just some time. In your bulletins, you're going to see a, a card that looks like this right here. And the band's not going to sing for us. In fact, we're just going to give you some space. What I want you to do is I want you to think about what does breakthrough look like for you? Because remember, breakthrough is something that you can't name in the moment. You got to name it in retrospect as you look back. 2018 has gotten off to a really great start for me. But what ultimately matters is how does it finish? How does it end? And so I want you to take some time and I want you to write on this card. What sort of breakthrough do you want to experience in 2018? What sort of change do you want to see happen? And after you do that, I want you to put this somewhere you're going to see it. Put it in your dashboard, you know, put it on the refrigerator, put it in your office, put it somewhere. Because what I would love to do, nothing more than at the end of the year, we're going to celebrate all the incredible things we saw God do. So right now, just take a few moments prayerfully. You maybe won't even fill this whole thing out before you leave, but maybe you'll write down a word. You'll get started. 
Take a few moments. Don't leave because we can see you. Spend some time. Don't waste this moment. Reflect with me.